house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada water. I might be the one with the gun here, but I'm not the real criminal. It's people like these guys. I got my finger on the trigger. I'm telling you, it's rigged. The whole damn thing. But I don't know who to trust. They're stealing everything from us, and they're getting away with it, too. How's that even fair? Just keep talking to him, all right? You're good at that. I got my finger on the trigger. You lost a lot of money when the market tanked. They tracked down his girlfriend. That was everything we had. Every last cent. What are you doing? I'm just trying to survive. I'll get you some answers. Nobody was asking any questions before. These guys could expose everything. We both want an explanation for what went wrong. We don't know. You have to understand how delicate of a situation this I'm is. I'm sitting 80 feet from a bomb. Don't talk to me about delicate situations. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that wants a director's cut that's just Sharon Stone and Jenna Rollins cooking Christmas dinner together. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my furious pregnant girlfriend, Chris File. Hello, Chris. <laughs> I didn't see that that's what my intro would be. I feel like I should have prepared uh, Brooklyn that is somehow Boston. Like, Joe Reed, you trash. You know what you, you are? Trash, you're trash. you always been you trash. trash. You're a loser. You fucked it up like you always fuck it up. <laughs> that... I'm the one who fucked it up like I always fuck it up. <laughs> Those dulcet tones are, of course, coming from our most beloved thanksgiving week guest it's become a a holiday tradition like no other we are thrilled to welcome back uh vanity fair's own katie rich hello and welcome and thank you for coming on again hello i'm so delighted to be part of a tradition and also by the amount of people from your uh, deranged guessing games on twitter who guessed that i was coming up like the listeners are paying attention oh did they i didn't even notice that did they guess that it was you multiple i multiple times i have been tagged in the guessing game of being like returning guess hey and actually i don't i don't know how much they were guessing right but uh, i was love that every time i love that see people know people know that you are uh you're you're our turkey day uh, uh annual guest you know so let's remind the listeners <laughs> uh, previously we've talked a little pan we've uh mm-hmm. uh what else help me remember uh, uh not love actually uh in in time about time. About time. <laughs> we haven't done in time. We made that mistake in that episode, too. Oh, my God. Uh, is this the fourth episode? Is this our yeah. fourth year running? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, The Tourist was my first. The yeah. Tourist. That's what it was. Yeah. That's what it was. Oh, and man. actually, for this one, and I don't want to spoil anything, but like The Tourist was one where I was like, I don't know. I'll try it. I, I don't. I don't know what I feel about it. And then I came in with Pan at About Time, which I had very strong feelings about. And this one, I'm kind of back to more of a neutral position. So hopefully (laughs) that makes it less combative. So that's my question then. So you had seen Money Monster before requesting it, yes? Yes, yeah. I saw it, uh, I guess, before it came out at some point uh, in the spring of 2016. So what was the, what made you decide? Because we, you know, you've you've got your choice. You come on here, it's it's your call. (laughs) So what made you go for a movie like Money Monster? 
So I saw it because I was interviewing Katrina Balfe at the time. And she has, I mean, her role in the movie is not nothing. You know, she's like breaking out from Outlander at this point. She's kind of trying her way. You can see why she would make this movie. And obviously she's interesting now in this award season because she's very likely to get nominated for Belfast. So I thought she was interesting. Clooney has a movie out this year, um, which we keep not really thinking about, The Tender Bar, which he's not in. Um, and it's it has all these various interesting Oscar-y elements while having just fallen completely on its face while also being ignored like it was a strange combination where it basically from the minute it opened including a can premiere it didn't exist and no one no one got dinged for it no one's career suffered for it it just fell apart and i find that always fascinating with a movie with this much pedigree going into it i think also uh, in addition to all that of like it, it basically was not scrubbed from the face of the earth but this movie very quickly didn't exist and yet it also made enough money for it to be profitable at least globally speaking and so it's like also not the type of movie that is held over anybody's head. Not Jodie Foster as a director. None of these stars. Yeah. Uh, not Chuck O'Connell, who I'm sure we'll get into. <laughs> and like he was on the rise at the time. I don't know that it helped Jack O'Connell's career, though. I'm not sure that he, he like ascended from this the way that we might have hoped. But it's probably, like you said, probably not this movie's fault. This was the same year that he did uh, did Unbroken, though, right? And I feel like the two of those things together. No, this was maybe... two years after Unbroken, according to IMDb. Oh, Unbroken was twenty four. Time is a flat circle for Jack <laughs> O'Connell's career. Oh, boy. It was like there's like a four year period where it's a bunch of things happening all at the same time, and. I think there was two things that stopped the Jack Connell is everywhere train. One of them was Tulip Fever. Mm -hmm. The yes. second was he was the brick to Sienna Miller's Maggie the Cat in the very famous living with someone you love is sometimes harder than living alone. Oh, wow. <laughs> Have you ever seen that clip, Katie, of her... We're talking, as Maggie we're the talking Cat? about Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, which they did in, in London. I've not seen this, but clearly I should. I will find this clip and send it to you because it's Sienna something Miller's else. dialect yeah. is something else. Yeah, it's really amazing. Um, yeah, the thing that I was sort of surprised by when I was doing my research was that Clooney doesn't act in another movie after this one until last year's um, Midnight Sky. Yeah, which, his like, own movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's so and, crazy that he's been depriving us of this. Like, And I, it doesn't seem like there's been any reason for it other than like... He doesn't and, have to, so he doesn't. He doesn't have to. Right. That's the thing. Like, He doesn't have to. Maybe he's enjoying married life. Maybe whatever. He got those twins. Maybe, yeah. 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 I mean, for but for whatever reason, we haven't had Clooney. But it also hasn't been like, I don't think, it hasn't been a sense of like, I really want George Clooney back, which is like, mm. it's not like me and Channing Tatum. We're like, I am like, where has Channing Tatum gone and why can't we have him back? Whereas like Clooney was gone and I was like, mm -hmm. well, I guess Clooney's gone. Like I didn't notice it, you know, I, not, you know, nothing against George. But, yeah. Because you feel like it's not like it's like, well, he never got the chance to give his best performance. Like Clooney, the peak Clooney was so good. Like he really made his mark as a movie star. So you're like, he can come back. Like, he might be able to top that. But, like, if if it doesn't get better than that, we won't be surprised, you know? Right, right. I suppose him, like, working as a director, especially if it's like he's trying to spend time with his family, is a little bit more confusing because it's more con time-consuming and, you know, takes up more of you to direct a movie than to just star in a movie. And, like, even when he's starring in movies, he's not, you know, a huge role in things like Gravity, right? Yeah. 
Right. I'm more so like, where is my that? Like you're saying with Channing Tatum, Joe. I'm saying, yeah. where is my reuniting of Ocean's Eleven stars uh, in a movie every single year? Mm. Like, why don't we get uh, more Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts together? Why don't we get more like Don Cheadle and uh, Scott Kahn in movies together? Listen, that is I mean, exactly what I want. So, yeah. Andy Garcia could have played this Dominic West role. It is right there. Oh, 100%. That's so true. As <laughs> Tommy is fine, I would say. But... As Tommy Bahama, though, from uh, <laughs> from Barbin Star. Yeah, no costume change whatsoever. Same outfit. This was a, I, one of the funny things, again, as I was looking up stuff, this is a accidental reunion of our very first This Had Oscar Buzz movie, because this is... Julia Roberts and Dominic West in a movie again uh, for the first oh, yeah. time since Mona Lisa Smile. So once again, my Mona Lisa Smile ignorance comes into play. I did not know Dominic West. I know, Mona Katie, you really you stepped in it about Mona Lisa <laughs> Smile recently on your own podcast. Doesn't know anything about Mona Lisa Smile. I know. I've been. <laughs> what was it that you didn't? Since. You didn't know that well, we, Maggie. There were it? four of us sitting there being like, Maggie Joan Hunkers and Dunst. Like, they had to have made a movie together at some point, right? We're like, yeah, like, it seems like they should have. I don't know what it is. And then we moved on. And then everyone listening, like, ah! whipped out their headphones in fury. That's the most <laughs> anybody's ever know. supported Mona Lisa Smile in over a decade. That's amazing. Hey, it launched a full podcast. That's not nothing. That's not nothing. No, we, we give it <laughs> thanks true. every day. <laughs> and as I believe I probably said on that episode, Dominic West, not a man that I can easily place at any given time. <laughs> like, you say the words Dominic West to me, and I'm like, uh, 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 what movie is he? Because I always confuse him with Dougree Scott. Oh. Yes. What Wait, did so I just Chris, see him in? Oh, he Chris, was in Dark Water. Be, yeah. I don't want to be uh, that person, but you didn't watch The Wire, did you? I did not watch yeah, The Wire. Yeah, see, that's that's how they'll, like, anyone who was ever on The Wire will just be burned in my brain that way, which I think for yeah. any, like, long-running show that you watch, anyone on Friday totally. Night Lights is the same way. They they will always be there. I think that's a good point. I think that's a good point. Yeah, I just, Doug Ray, Doug Ray Scott was the shitty ex-husband to Jennifer Connelly in Dark Water, and that's why she had to move to <laughs> Roosevelt Island, and then things went from bad to worse for her. Um don't move to Roosevelt Island, Joe. Don't do it. Watching that movie in the midst of looking for new apartments, I watched. Okay, so this is my experience. I watched within the same the span. I think no, it was the same day. It was the in Friday uh, afternoon evening uh, of Halloween weekend. I went to a screening of The Humans, which is fantastic. But was like, I literally walked out and I was like, that might be the first time I've ever seen a movie. That's set in New York and is very much about being set in New York that made me want to move away from New York because <laughs> just it the reality real of having hell. to live in that apartment was and it's supposed to be like so harrowing and so incredibly threatening. And I was like, oh, my God, I I don't want to have to move to another shitty apartment ever again. And then that night. I watched, because I was watching Spooky Season stuff, I watched Dark Water for the first time since it was new. And that, again, is like, no place to go. She can't afford to go anywhere. She's got to move to Roosevelt Island. And it is just an absolutely, like, waterlogged hell. And I was like, yeah, I maybe, like, should leave? Like, is this what the universe is telling me? Because, like, holy shit, it was a day. It was a real day. But now I feel better, and I'm talking with you guys, and this is good. (laughs) 
We're so, going to talk about uh, Money Monster, which the only thing I really remembered about the movie, because so much of it was scrubbed from my brain after I saw it, I remembered how like hideous this movie is. Like To look at all of these constant Fox News, MSNBC screens that like this movie yeah. really kind of takes to a satirical extreme is such an eyesore and like that's part of the point but like maybe it was just maybe it's just like so so gross visually that like i couldn't possibly remember anything else yeah just when you thought you were like overwhelmed with the amount of like cable news stuff like wolf blitzer keeps coming back you're like uh-huh. good god man like I don't it had need to been be a while a doctor's office it had been a while since i'd seen a movie with a good old-fashioned Pat Kiernan does a local news break in yeah. kind of thing. Like yeah. that was, that was a moment for like, there was a while there where he was doing like six movies a year. It was really yep. like, it well, was this, crazy. This is like, I mean, I don't, I, I've moved out of New York not long after this. So I feel like the Pat Kiernan obsession peak has passed. Maybe it hasn't, but it does feel like this might've been right at his. Moment. I think he's been a casualty of cord cutting. I think the more people Ooh, cut cords, yeah. the more like the less people have been watching New York one. And like, yeah, it does feel like his moment has passed. Also, he's stopped hosting trivia nights at the bell house for me to win. So like yes. that <laughs> hasn't been great. I went I was, to one of those. Did you go to one? Oh, that's I, right, because you were on I a different team than me. Time. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we were at the same one, yeah. Yeah, we were head-to-head. I feel like we were the two best teams. Surprise, well, surprise. Yeah, okay, so in 2016, he was on Billions, Daredevil, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, The Ghostbusters Lady Remake, uh, and Doctor Strange. Yeah. And and this, which and is this. not even listed on his IMDb. Which that's is like sh- all of the 2016 movies where something bad happens in New York. I yeah. know. Oh, wait, no, he's there's it's very inconsistent. He's listed as an actor in some and as self. In and others. as self in others. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is the problem. IMDb has got to figure their shit out. Yeah. What is mm-hmm. his known for? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Oh, wow. It's all Marvel movies. Spider-Man yeah. Far From Home, Avengers, Doctor Strange and Iron Man 3. He's Marvel's in-house New York news guy. That's why. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He's like paid by Marvel in the. Yes, yeah, like Kevin US Feige's government. got him everyone, on retainer. Yeah, everyone thinks that like the Pentagon is paying for Marvel movies. For the <laughs> no, it's really New York One. <laughs> <laughs> New York One is the engine that drives the whole thing somehow. Oh, it's so true. All right, Katie, we're going to get into uh, talking all about this movie, but first, we're going to task you with a sixty-second plot description. Once I. Uh, run down the particulars of this one. So uh, for our fourth Katie Rich Thanksgiving special, we're doing Money Monster, directed by Jodie Foster. We haven't even talked about Jodie Foster yet, you guys. We got to have a whole thing about her. We got a lot to do. Uh, written by Jamie Linden, Alan DeFiori, and Jim Kauf, uh, starring George Clooney, Julia Roberts, Jack O'Connell, Katrina Balf, Dominic West, Giancarlo Esposito, Emily Mead, Christopher Denham, Condola Rashad, Greta Lee for like half a second, but I was so happy to see Greta Lee and Screamed Aaron Yu. Uh, it premiered. I'm so at- glad you put Greta Lee on that cast list. <laughs> I had to. I like. I had to go like 20 deep down the cast list to find her. But there she was. Because you hear her talk for a sentence, you're like, "What? I know that." I'm place. like, I know who that is. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, premiered at the Cannes Film Festival on May 12th, 2016. It opened wide a day later on May 13th, 2016, and then was promptly um, discarded by history. So, Katie, I am going to pull up my little stopwatch and put 60 seconds on the clock for you. Are you ready to go? Whew, no, I do not have a good grasp <laughs> of international finance, and this, this probably won't go well. <laughs> All right. Well, your time starts 
now. Okay, so George Clooney is Lee Gates. He's basically Jim Cramer. He has a show where he tells people what money to buy. Julia Roberts is Patty. She's his producer. She's trying to leave for another job across the street. But will she? We'll find out. Uh, They get to work, and something called Ibis Clear Capital has had a glitch where a bunch of people lost money, and they're kind of figuring out what the deal is. When uh, Jack O'Connell as Kyle Budwell barges into the studio with a gun, takes George Clooney hostage, and is basically saying it's his fault that he lost all his money on Ibis Clear Capital because he told him to buy all this stock in it. So they try to figure out the deal. They try all these different things to try to get... Calm down. This is like uh, New York NYPD SWAT team led by Giancarlo Esposito is outside. They call his pregnant girlfriend, who's very mean to him. Uh, and then eventually it becomes clear that uh, Ibis Clear Capital is not on the up and up. And Katrina Balf is the press person and she's kind of figuring it out. She's also uh, having an affair with Dominic West, who is the CEO. And she eventually is ready to turn on him to help Julia Roberts figure out Ten the seconds. deal. They leave uh, the studio and walk down the streets of New York and become a big media spectacle. And then eventually, uh, uh, Kyle gets shot and Dominic West walks away free, maybe a little bit. And that's time. But he becomes a meme. So, <laughs> so truly, who is the who is the true victim? So everything's fine. It's such a it's such a weird note to leave on. Like there's there's a lot of problems in this movie, but that ending where like this kid who like we've been told like that these two people have found their conscience by like caring whether he lives or dies and then by the end of the movie they're like so weirdly comforted by the fact that like things are going back to normal and this yeah. moment has been memefied and i'm like yeah no this is horrifying yeah. what and like he's like about? they say something vague about like he violated someone or another sec thing so he might go to jail anyway and it's like oh good the one bad apple is gone so the financial system is fixed <laughs> well, okay, so the thing about the ending on the meme note, it made me realize that in the entire movie, they never acknowledge or directly acknowledge at least the existence of Twitter. And it's like, yeah. this is 2016. It's not that far out. And it's like, it has this weird relationship with like how the internet works and how people are connected to like, when shit goes down like this and finger quotes, everyone is watching Mm -hmm. the way we actually watch these things. Yeah. And it's like, it never mentions Facebook. It never mentions Twitter. And it's just kind of a weird relationship to like that and the culture. And, you know, especially because there's a point where George Clooney is basically single handed. I I, I think from my understanding of finances, he's inventing like meme stocks. Like he's doing the GameStop thing where it's like, if we all buy this thing, this terrible asset will become a good asset. Let's all do it together. So that I thought was actually one of two moments that I was like, I, I enjoyed what the movie was doing where they were like actively and knowingly subverting a kind of like hokey movie trope because like that scene, right? The music is swelling. He's doing this. Like if we all band together, we're, we're people, we're not machines. If we all, you know, support this stock or whatever, we can get it up and we can drive up the price and we can make everybody whole again and yada, yada, yada. And then it was just like music swells and then the stock goes down and it's like honk. And it's just like, it's, it's a big letdown. And I was like, oh, okay. So this movie knows that like this problem isn't going to be solved by like Frank Capra style, like power of the human spirit. And then the other, yeah, right. And then the other moment that I think it subverts uh, things is the Emily Mead moment, where all of a sudden we're building up to this big, they find the pregnant girlfriend, they're going to put her on the phone with them, and she's going to, you imagine, be the, like, long-suffering, you know, wife-slash-girlfriend character who, like, uh, you know, y- your-, your baby needs a daddy yeah. or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, all this sort of stuff. We and then she comes in and she just... That- 
That is right. She just like (laughs) reams him a new asshole and is just like, you're worthless. I don't ever want to talk to you again. Blow yourself up for all I care. And then she pieces out. Yeah, she does not come back. It's incredible. So I think the movie knows what it doesn't want to be. I think the problem is it doesn't know what it wants to be. And I think that is ultimately what we're left with. Right. Yeah, because you get the sense of all of these like millionaires and billionaires in a like in a <coughs> studio being like, yeah, this is the movie for the Occupy Wall Street moment where we like really stick it yeah. to rich people, and you're like, I don't think you know what people are mad about, and nothing in this movie suggests that like any of the real rage at the financial system uh, was clear to anyone making it. It's also very clearly a movie that was made just before. Donald Trump was elected president because uh-huh. anything that is a news story now would be immediately like run through the the churn of like it would be immediately politicized and everybody would just take a side alongside of like what the expedient political stance that each side wanted to take right and all of a sudden everybody would like run to their corners and and that would be that and it's in in many ways I find myself nostalgic for anything that was made before the Trump era because it was just like, oh, this was like fucked up in like a different way. And like I'm you know, <laughs> I miss that. But um it's funny, Katie, that you mentioned that your on your uh entry point to this in a lot of ways was Katrina Balfe. And her character I think is so emblematic of one of the problems with the movie, which is that like it doesn't know where it wants to focus on, where all of a sudden she becomes momentarily very important to the story, where all of a sudden we're following her and she now has the scales have kind of fallen from her eyes. And it's important to her to get to the bottom of why this glitch lost all this money and was there malfeasance and where is Dominic West and where was he? And she like gets to the bottom of it and finds out that he was in South Africa and she like totally like blows him into Julia Roberts and, you know, sets him up for the fall. And then literally she hands the information to Clooney and pieces <laughs> out for the rest of the movie and she is gone. And it's like, yeah. well, why were we following her for all this time? Like, oh, she's she's not important now. Like, she was just clearly a means to an end. But like all this time that we were following her... Julia Roberts isn't getting developed at all. Like, you know, all of a sudden, like, the characters that are important by the end of the movie are not cared for in the middle of the movie. And it's just so scattered. I mean, I think that this is definitely a movie that wants to be an ensemble movie. Yeah. And it is also, like, sidelining itself because it has two of the biggest movie stars on the planet in these two roles. One of which is kind of a non-character. Um yeah, because like, yeah, you do have stretches where you're following uh, Katrina Balfe. You have Giancarlo Esposito where we're like getting to know way too much about what's going on right. with this like SWAT effort surrounding yeah. them. We yeah. keep cutting to Iceland like kind of a lot for oh, or Korea with the guy who Korea. made the algorithm. It's like the whole point is the algorithm's a robot. It doesn't matter who the person who made it is. Well, that's the thing. I think it's a better movie, and I think it's a more impactful movie if all of that financial stuff. means nothing all of like there that there is no nothing behind the curtain that there is no rhyme Mm -hmm. or reason and that you're just with Clooney sort of realizing that he's the wizard of oz right that all that Mm. ultimately there is no real power there it's all you know i mean it's the lesson of gamestop right like money is fake and 
you know, none of this really means anything. And at least then Clooney's sort of come to Jesus moment can be maybe a little bit more devastating. I think his character really needs to go through it more in this movie. For somebody who's got like yeah. a suicide vest strapped onto him for <laughs> most of the movie. I was about to say, what more must this man go through for you? But like, but you don't it's feel it. His journey is like keeping his cool and becoming the TV man throughout like this horrible thing that's happening. Then it is, you know, him realizing right. that, you know, he is part of the problem. But I think it's, it's supposed to be able to maintain composure. Right. But I think it's supposed to be that he's that he, you know, realizes his part in this system. But like, you don't feel it at all. You never I never feel like he's an actual danger in this movie. Yeah, I don't. I don't like I see it. I understand that that's what the plot is. But like, it doesn't it doesn't communicate all that harrowingly to me i think he plays it pretty well though like his sense that he is in danger i do like in those early parts of it where he's just really kind of in a panic and having a panic attack like seeing george clooney be low status in that way is is interesting and an interesting choice for him to have made because even like in midnight sky from what very little i remember about that movie like i feel like he's still kind of like calm and in control the whole time yeah Mm -hmm. this was also a moment where like there was a moment there where, like, people really paid attention to, like, the Jim Cramers of the world, right? Obviously, that's who Clooney's character is kind of modeled on. These yeah. people who turned, like, uh, Wall Street finance into uh, this sort of, like, burlesque show, you know, this very kind of, like, masculine burlesque, right? Where he's, like, he's, you know, he's got boxing gloves on and he's got, like, like Nick City dancers with him or whatever. And it's a whole thing. And that was a thing that, like, we were sort of, like, momentarily scandalized by this idea that like after the the market crash in uh in the financial system crash that we were just like this is what this is how we treated money this is how we treated things like stocks or whatever and then as we do with everything (laughs) these days it like it shocks us it dismays us and then we move on to the next thing that shocks us and dismays us and like we get we don't have time to like linger or certainly not fix anything and it was weird to be like, oh yeah, for a while there, like we really cared about that particular kind of a thing, and why? Yeah, that didn't was a like John Stewart like have Jim Cramer oh, yeah. on the show and yell at him that like that was a thing? Yeah, yeah, and again, like for all the good that did, you know, and it's like okay, and I think that was a big criticism of Money Monster was ultimately it's pretty hollow. Ultimately, it's you know these big Hollywood stars sort of traipsing through an issue of the moment thing and not really having anything super trenchant to say about it. And then and I also don't feel like we leave this movie understanding any more, the any more, the stuff that we don't understand already going into it. I feel like so much of this is so confusing. And I think part of why like the movie wants to be this like ensemble thing is because it wants to get all of these pieces and all these players that make these incredibly convoluted like structures that we plebeians don't always understand about like finance right or like how finger quotes finance yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know all of and like yeah so it's frustrating in that way too i wonder if the relevant thing about its failure is that it comes out about six months after the big short which you know i think Mm. you can have your problems with it here and there but it is much more broader focused about the financial system and i think Mm. much more rightly cynical about what makes it function and i think you see something like the big short and then money monsters like well but it was just this one guy who was taking money from his company to fund 
right. labor disputes in South Africa. I can't remember even what his whole big scheme yes. was. He was manipulating like, the market. That's all I need to know. That's all. Yeah, like, yes, very, just tell us that. Yeah, yeah, it's very specific. Like, this guy did something bad, and it right. ends with George Clooney getting back to making his show, you know? Like, there's if, no yeah. sense of him being part of that problem at all. So long as George Clooney can punch out the guy who did the bad thing, then yeah. we can end our movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And even though I think Jack O'Connell's character, as written, like, comes in being like, you guys stand here and you tell us what to do with our money, and, like, you don't pay any right. attention to the impact. Like, his, that character's point of view is a really accurate i think version of the frustration people feel but it just isn't important to the story it's funny to remember that when this movie came out for for as little as we kind of remember about this movie's cultural footprint which was very very small and slight the thing i remember the most was that most of the criticism about the movie was about jack o'connell's accent his sort of working class american accent and like people (laughs) really raked him over the coals for it and i felt bad it's not great but no, it's not the it, biggest problem in this. It's movie. really not. That's the thing. It's like it's not in the top five of this movie's biggest problems. Is and I sort of felt bad that it kind of got hung on him a little bit. That you know the the inauthenticity of the movie sort of got wrapped up in that. He really didn't have also. Oh, go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, would people also be saying that about his accent and this movie? Because, like, I thought it was fine watching it this time. But, like, would people have been saying that if they hadn't also just seen him in a dozen other movies in two years? I think that's maybe part of it. So before we get into the Jack O'Connell thing, the whole, you know, because we want to talk about him a little bit. Because he was definitely, like, (laughs) having a moment back then. So as has become something of a tradition on here i like to torture you two and it's very fun (laughs) for me when we talk about sort of younger actors who get put in certain boxes and this one in particular like jack o'connell was as comes along fairly frequently is sort of like a young uh man from you know the british isles in ireland who uh gets his start it's very, you know, people are very excited by stuff he's doing in his home country, and then they transfer him to America, and maybe it works, and usually it doesn't. So, in this way, there were two men, I was almost spoiled for choice. It's like, who is Jack O'Connell sort of like twinned with? And part of it is when you hear the name Jack O'Connell, now somebody's just like, oh, you mean Josh O'Connor. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm talking about Jack O'Connell. People are like, who? And I'm like, mm, kind of exactly. <laughs> Josh O'Connor is kind of like eating his lunch, not necessarily because they're the same, you know, type of actor, although in some ways they are. They're but it's just like... Type. I, I, you know, Jack O'Connell's the boxer. You can't see Josh O'Connor like in like, in, like a right. boxing prison movie. And yet, like, there is kind of just like this like, omnibus bucket that they all sort of like go in right and then you pick them out and you you get some cast members so anyway for this quiz i wanted to bring to you katie and chris i want to have you two go head to head in the jack o'connell or josh o'connor quiz (laughs) i'm going to name different roles from movies and you're going to tell me whether that role was played by jack o'connell or josh o'connor and i'm going to try and keep score but if you guys want to like just have your pen and paper handy yeah, just you, in case. And we should, the listeners should know that you texted us ahead of time being like, have scratch paper ready. And I was like, oh, shit. I didn't want to <laughs> give you guys too much notice. Math, <laughs> All right. I just didn't want to give you guys too much notice. I wanted to sort of spring it on you. Even though, though I, had, I suspect you guys were maybe, you know, wondering whether I was going to cook up something uh, insane. All right. So we're so, answering at the same time? Oh, sorry, you, you explain. No, we're going to go one to one. So Katie, okay. you are our guest, so you will start first. Okay. Um. 
All right. So the first question goes to you. As a former Olympian and bombardier who was held in captivity by the Japanese in Unbroken, who was it? Jack O'Connell. That was Jack O'Connell. One point to Katie. All right, Chris. As a gay farmer in God's own country. That's Josh O'Connor. That is Josh O'Connor. One point to Chris. Katie. As a fishmonger who loses his shirt in the tulip trade in tulip fever. (laughs) That's Jack O'Connell. That is Jack O'Connell. Although if we hadn't just talked about it, that might have been a challenge. (laughs) Right. Well, this is why I kind of wanted to get this in early before we got even, you know, too much more discussion. All right. Chris, as a noble-born son in a romance with a maid in Mothering Sunday. That is a very naked Josh O'Connor. That is Josh O'Connor. That was just a tiff this year. All right. Katie, as a palace guard in the Lily James version of Cinderella. Oh, shit. Uh... This is, I feel like this is probably a trick question, but I'm going to say Josh O'Connell anyway. No, jo- Josh O'Connell. <laughs> Josh O'Connell is never going to be the right answer. <laughs> Josh, the, the, the crown one. The Josh, Josh O'Connor. O'Connor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Nice try. It? Yes, it is. It's Josh O'Connor. You're correct. Wow. Okay. All right. Chris. Well, you really got the good one. Uh, as Brick in the National Theater production of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. <laughs> yes, I'm fist pumping. That is Jack O'Connell. That is Jack O'Connell. Living with someone you love can be lonelier than living entirely alone if the one that you love doesn't love you. All right, Katie. As the kind older brother who's also kind of a layabout in Sing Street. I'm so glad I prepped for this. That's yeah. Jack Rayner. That is Jack Rayner. <laughs> Point to Katie. Because now I the game. might have gotten that wrong 30 minutes ago. Is Jack Rayner, Jack O'Connell, or Josh O'Connor? This All is right. where I fall apart. Oh my God. Christopher, as an FBI agent tasked with surveilling actress Jean Seberg in Seberg. That is jack o'connell correct point to chris i almost guessed garrett headland (laughs) (laughs) he's american though he doesn't count uh so is jack rayner so you know no jack rayner's not american jack rayner is not american look him up i would think so too but look him up on imdb it says he was born in colorado doesn't mean that he lived there most of his life all right well we'll figure this we'll we'll debate this later all right we'll debate this later all right who got seberg that would be me all right so katie as Florence Pugh's shitty boyfriend in Midsommar. Oh, that's Jack Rayner. That is Jack Rayner. Point to Katie. All right. Chris, as the adult son of Annette Benning and Bill Nye in Hope Gap. Oh, that's Josh O'Connor. That is Josh O'Connor. Point wow. to Chris. We are at 5-5. Five, five. You guys are doing excellently. Katie, as a Justice Department attorney opposing Ruth Bader Ginsburg in On the Basis of Sex. <laughs> I don't have the first clue. Uh, Josh O'Connor. It is not. It is Jack Uh, Rayner. Damn. All right. Christopher. As Frank Churchill in Emma, period. That's Josh O'Connor. It's not. It's Callum Turner. Josh (laughs) O'Connor plays Reverend Elton in Emma. Frank Churchill is played by Callum Turner because now we are playing Jack Rayner, Jack O'Connell, Josh O'Connor, or Callum Turner. Oh, my God. All right. We are still at (laughs) 5-5. Katie. As Tom Holland's drug dealer in Cherry. Ooh, I think that's Jack Rayner. It is. You're getting all the Jack Rayner questions. I may not have split these up very well. All right. Chris, in a tiny bit role in Florence Foster Jenkins that he almost didn't take because he wanted to attend the Glastonbury Festival. 
Callum Turner? No, it's Josh O'Connor. Okay. <laughs> All right. Katie. As older brother to Eddie Redmayne's Newt Scamander in Fantastic <gasps> Beasts, The Crimes oh of Grindelwald. <laughs> Wait, is that the second one or the first one? It's the second one. Oh, I never saw that one. Uh, um, Neither Callum did Turner. I. It is Callum Turner. Hey! Good job. <laughs> All right. Katie's winning seven to five. Chris. As a participant in a in, sorry, as a participant in an insane series of shootouts in Free Fire. Oh God! Um, oh, that is um, that's Jack Rayner. It is. I'm going to give you that point, but it is Jack Rayner and Killian Murphy because now we are playing Jack <laughs> Rayner, Jack O'Connell, Josh O'Connor, Callum Turner, or Killian Murphy. Jack Rayner gets like his head smashed in in that movie. Yeah. Does Gross, he also get movie. his head smashed in Midsommar, or does he die another way? Oh, no, he's in the bear suit. He dies in a bear. Yeah, yeah. How, how could I forget? He dies in a bear. All right, Katie. As a soldier of Athens in 300, Rise <gasps> of an Empire. Ooh. I'm going with the brawniest one, Jack O'Connell. Jack O'Connell. Katie, you are murdering this Listen, vampire. my bros. My Christopher. <laughs> Chris. As a punk band member who gets caught in a massacre while performing for a bunch of neo-Nazis in Green Room. That's Anton Yelchin. Well, yes, but who else? <laughs> Anton Yelchin uh, is not entering the game. Good try. but Callum that is... Turner. Yes, Callum Turner. Very good. All right. Katie. As the second mate on the ship that inspired the story of Moby Dick in In the Heart of the Sea. Oh. <laughs> I'm guessing we're not throwing Chris Hemsworth into this race, so um, no, we're not. Let's say Killian Murphy. It is Killian what? Murphy, Katie Rich. <laughs> Holy crap! I never saw that movie either. All right, Chris, as the psychopathic lover to the less stable Tom Hardy twin in Legend. Oh, uh, Killian Murphy. It's Taron Edgerton, because now we are playing <laughs> oh my God. Jack Rayner, Jack O'Connell, Josh O'Connor, Callum Turner, Killian Murphy, or Taron Edgerton. Oh, Taron. Katie. As an Eaton student who is maybe fucking Ali Alexander, not that the movie cares enough to pursue it, in the Riot Club. Ooh. Not the... Ooh. Taron, I don't know. No, it's Josh O'Connor. You're um, on such a streak, too. Oh. <laughs> I know. All right, Chris. As Malcolm in the Justin Kurtzell directed Macbeth. Oh, um, uh, ooh, uh, is that Josh O'Connor? It's Jack Rayner. Mm. All uh. right, Katie, as one of the men in Dunkirk. <laughs> <laughs> God, any of them were in Dunkirk? Wait, no, Killian Murphy's in Dunkirk. Killian Murphy, very good. Yeah, Katie he's, Rich. He's, a, he's a Nolan Damn boy. It. All right, that's the end of our quiz. By a score of 10 to 7, Katie, you Damn. are our champion. Tip my hat to you, Katie. Jack Rayner, Jack O'Connell, Josh O'Connor, Callum Turner, Killian Murphy, or Taryn Edgerton. <laughs> I'm so proud of you guys. Not enough uh, Taryn Edgerton in this game overall. You introduced him. That was real tea. Well, I know. I, I introduced him late in the game. I didn't have enough time. But Okay, Wikipedia calls Jack Rayner an Irish actor, so something... Let's see. Oh, yeah. He, when he was two years old, he moved with his mother to Valley Mount County, Wicklow, Ireland. Oh, okay. So he was born in the United States and then he moved very early. All right. Well, that makes me feel better because I like <laughs> that seemed wrong, too. I was, yeah, for him to be an American, seeing Street feels very wrong. Because the first thing I ever saw him in was this like very indie Irish movie at like Tribeca mm -hmm. Film Festival. 
So, yep, yeah. what Richard did. What Richard did, yes. Which is like really, like, he's really good in that. Mm-hmm. And then for years, I was like, no, this guy's really good. And people were like, no, he was in Transformers. He's shit. And I was like, no. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think Midsommar really um, did good work for him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, big time. Even Sing Street, I think people started to turn around a little bit with Sing Street. Yeah. Because it was so likable. All right. I want to switch gears into Jodie Foster for a second, because we haven't talked about her yet. This is only her fourth movie she ever directed it's she hasn't directed another one since she directs very sporadically for somebody who's such a huge hollywood movie star and also entity and sort of creative force she's only made four movies and it's a weird weird four movies is the other thing so uh she started her directorial debut she directed little man tate she directed Home for the Holidays, which is sort of everybody's like, you know what's a really good movie about the holidays is Home for the Holidays. Like, um, it's also a Thanksgiving movie and not a Christmas movie. So like that sort of, you know, it has a little bit of a more space to have the category all its own. Um, Misbegotten and sort of nobody really wants to talk about The Beaver, which uh, came around in 2011, I want to say. Speaking of Anton Yelchin. Oh, right. I forgot that he's in that. And also Jennifer Lawrence, right? Yeah. That was why they had their little nice little moment at the Oscars together. Yeah, and they were in um oh my god, like crazy together too, like right around the same time. Oh yeah, but I met Jennifer Lawrence and Jodie Foster when oh, they yes, presented yeah. at the Oscars. What did they present time. again? They presented Best Actor to Leo. Well, it wasn't Casey Affleck. I don't know. I might have to look that up. You guys talk about Jodie Foster's movies. I'll look that up. I'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the only other movie after that. But she also, at the time of this movie, was like making headlines for, you don't realize this, but Jodie Foster has been directing television. Like, yeah. Orange is the New Black. And she did a House of Cards episode. I mean, of course she's moved to directing television, right? Like, getting a movie made. Even, like, Money Monster feels like a relic of another time, having come out in 2016, being mm-hmm. like, this movie that's about ideas and about grownups. Like, television is where that moves to. And if she can't get, like, the movie she wants to make finance, like, go direct an episode of Black Mirror. Like, that's probably almost as satisfying. I've never seen the episode of Black Mirror she directed. What, does anyone know anything about it? I don't do Black Mirror. Who's in that one? <laughs> uh, oh, it's Rosemary DeWitt. Oh, oh I should I do Black Mirror. Yeah, I've no. not seen, I have not seen that one. It's, uh, let's see, after nearly losing her daughter, a mother invests in a new technology that allows her to keep track of her. Interesting. Oh, God. Yeah, that sounds grim. Um, this is why I don't do Black Mirror, but you had me at Rosemary DeWitt. <laughs> yep. Uh, Jodie Foster and Jennifer Lawrence presented Best Picture to Frances McDormand for uh. Three Billboards. Because remember, that was the year, that was the the big Me Too year, where like every all of, all of the big presenters that year were mm. mostly women. Like Emma Stone presented Best Director, and Jane Fonda and Helen Mirren presented Best Actor, and um, well, and then they they did Warren Beatty, Faye Dunaway Part Two for Best uh, for Best. Wait, picture. you said Best Picture? You mean Best Actress? Yeah, Jodie and Best Jennifer McDormand. Lawrence. Yeah, Jodie and Jennifer yeah. Lawrence presented Best Actress to Frances McDormand for yeah. Three Billboards. Yes, 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 yes. They they gave her Best Picture, a, a single picture for that one <laughs> Nomadland production. Still, that was like the only one that existed. That's early <laughs> and they did it like four years in advance. It was really impression. Yeah, them. yeah. Um, I still think it's funny that the most my first association for Jodie Foster as a director is for a film that has never been made and may never be made. And that Flora is Plum? Flora, Flora Plum. Plum. I will always bring it up. I will always talk about Flora Plum. It is until it gets, I almost hope it never gets made because then in my mind it can be like 
the greatest thing ever. Like the how, there was how a is Twitter it ever prompt. going to get made though? No, it's never going to get made. It's never upset. Netflix never would do it. Netflix would do it. That's they would true. just cast like TikTok stars in it or something. Oh, see again. This is why I don't want it to happen. I would be so sad. I'll end up being so sad. But so, do we think? Is Jodie Foster, like, a great director waiting for her big moment? Or is this just, like, we should probably accept that, like, Jodie Foster is a better actress than she is a director? Is this the same I mean, question I we s- ask ourselves about George Clooney? Yeah, it is. But he keeps getting more movies to make. Yeah, he does. I mean, mm. Jodie Foster's directing batting average is definitely higher than George Clooney's is at this point. Mm. I mean, one out of four is still not great. I actually, Little Man Tate's okay, I guess, right? But like, it's not a great right. movie. I mean, I don't know. It's honestly having just um, watched Water for Elephants for Fighting in the War Room, which I think by the wait, really? Out, Why did you watch Water for Elephants for Fighting in the War Room? <laughs> well, That's amazing. Our pats or something. I need to get my calendar in order to make sure I'm not spoiling a future ah! episode. Um, but we're doing a uh, our quarter quell, and we're doing 2011. We're doing movies that we talked about in the very earliest days of the podcast oh, as I our one year delayed 10th anniversary. So I love it. Uh, it's along with with Limitless and 127 Hours and many <laughs> other ones from that era. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> my point being that having seen Water for Elephants, I'm less sure that a Depression era circus movie is what the people really need. But... <laughs> We'll see. <laughs> oh my God! Water for elephants is like one of the. We could absolutely do that. Chris, you really should. I, I, like, could. I, could, I could come back. It would double as our Flora Plum episode. <laughs> yes, it really would. <laughs> yeah, oh you'd run out of things to say about water for elephants pretty quickly, I think, and then you could just talk about Flora Plum. Yeah. Oh my God, that's amazing. We could do it for in t- in conjunction with when the new Batman movie comes out, and we could talk about our pets and that. That would be. Oh. Uh, That'd we'll say it's fun. a uh, Water for Elephants episode, but really what it is is just a staged reading of the Floriplum script. Yeah. Here's my question about Floriplum. I'm like, I'm Googling about it. There's a 2008 MTV news article about her talking about it and how she wants to make it and stuff like that. And then three years later, she makes the beaver. Like, how do you go from trying how do you to get square Floriplum that? made yeah, <laughs> yes. for so long to then being like, oh, nope, the beaver, that's the one that's going to be. Well, and the beaver was one of those things where it's like, I forget where that movie was situated in relation to her weird, weird Golden Globe speech. I think it was before it, but not too long before it. And the one where she came out, but not really. The one where she's just like, yes, I'm coming out. I'm single. Like that kind of thing. And it was just like, Jody. Like, and it was one of those speeches that I wanted to like really give her the benefit of the doubt for because like one of the big cruxes of it was just like, leave me the fuck alone, essentially. Whereas just like, just let me goddamn b and yet the other half of me was 2013 so it would have Mm. been at least the season after the season after but he was there with her because she was getting the demille at the golden globes again reasons why i know the hollywood foreign press is bad but i'm going to miss the golden globes um (laughs) uh, mel gibson is there as essentially just like her date and friend to remind everybody hey everybody she seems to need to remind people that she's friends with mel gibson when all the rest of us want to do is be like jody we don't want to remember that you're friends with let's let us like, forget be about friends it. with him just right. don't make us just think like about sh- it. shut up about it like yeah yeah so while i'm here being all uh confessional and uh i guess i just have a sudden urge to say something that um i've never really been able to air in public so uh declaration that I'm a little nervous about, but maybe not quite as nervous as my publicist right now, huh, Jennifer? Um, but, uh, you know, I'm just going to put it out there, right? Loud and proud, right? So um, I'm going to need your support on this. I am uh, 
single. <laughs> yes, I am. I am single. No, I'm kidding. But I mean, I'm not really kidding, but I'm kind of kidding. I mean, thank you for the enthusiasm. Did, can I get a wolf whistle or something? I mean, please. <laughs> Jesus. Seriously. I hope that you're not disappointed that there won't be a big coming out speech tonight because uh, I already did my coming out about a thousand years ago back in the Stone Age in those, uh, those very quaint days when a fragile young girl would open up to trusted friends and family, co-workers, and then gradually, proudly to everyone who knew her, to everyone she actually met. But now, apparently, I'm told that every celebrity is expected to honor the details of their private life with a press conference, a fragrance, and a primetime reality show. Um, but that speech, so like, the crux of the speech is essentially, I don't want my life turned into a reality show, which is why I haven't said anything publicly, so like, get off on my back. And yet, I'm like, but you didn't have to make that the subject of your speech. You could have just like, continued to not mention it, and like, there's a push-pull of like, I'm sympathetic with somebody who is as famous as she is, especially for reasons that she is as famous as she is with like, yeah. she was famous so young and then the, the, uh, the Hinkley thing and her relationship to fame has got to be super fucked. And so yes. like, I get it. And yet there was also a sense of like, almost like making fun of the idea of celebrities coming out. And it's like, no, that's important too, Jody. Like, that's, I don't know. I still don't know how to how to wrestle with that. I don't know. But again, it's one of those moments that I'm like, I'm so glad that this is like the pond that I've decided to make my living in. Because it's just like, it's so fascinating. This like celebrities are so weird. And I really kind of love it. Yeah, because, you know, she's the example of, like, a child actor who, like, made it and, like, had success in her life. But, like, my God, at what cost? Like, it right. makes you right. weird. For I mean, my constant hobby horse is, like, children should not be in movies. <laughs> no, right. No one you want CGI characters movies. instead See, of children. I, want, I, would rather have, I would rather have baby Annette in every movie <laughs> rather, than, <laughs> rather than actual living children. Which is why they should have an awards campaign for baby Annette to get that ball rolling, oh, to tell the God. studios that you can win I Oscars. I just want baby Annette in every movie period not really for any ethical reason but just because you know she's the star but like how amazing would it be if like baby annette was allowed to like grow up and like be in other movies and get like progressively <laughs> older right you guys or, have to save we... this for your annette episode in uh, five years <laughs> or whatever that's gonna be but like oh we do not want to wish for an annette episode yet we want a best score nomination for annette we want a best song nomination for annette yeah 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 it's gotta happen um but like that's the that's the that's the possibility there, right? Is that you could have a completely fake child actor who can be whatever age you need them to be. Like mm -hmm. gone are gone are the days of like that kid's too old to be playing five, and it's like no, not anymore. We can make them exactly as old as we need them to be because they're not fucking real. <laughs> Katie, this is your best idea, by the way. It's always been your best idea. This is yeah. also exactly what has like made people like Meryl Streep up in arms about uh, performance capture. That, that she'll be, be one replaced. day replaced by Baby yes, Annette? they will be replaced by puppet Baby Annette. All roles will be played by Baby Annette. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the great Meryl Streep-Andy Circus battle that one day will be fought on the uh, great gladiatorial stages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, but like specifically about Muddy Monster... Is this a well-directed movie? No. <laughs> right. 
In parts, like I, I like all of the stuff in the control room where they're kind of like going back and forth, and you know, as my enduring love of broadcast news points out, like the idea of someone being in their ear and choreo- choreographing all of that stuff. I find that interesting. I think there is tension built into it, while also uh, no thematic resonance at all. I think the bigger decisions get bungled. I think on a smaller scale, I agree with you, Katie, that like the the control room scenes are effectively tense. I do still wish we had gotten more of a character out of Julia Roberts's character mm-hmm. because it seems like a waste of her beyond the fact that she and Clooney have great chemistry together and always have. Yes. And yeah. that's why she's there, basically. But well, and you have to believe you have to. There are two characters that are almost never on screen except for the very beginning and the very end of the movie. And you have to be able to buy this chemistry between sure. them throughout the entire movie. And that's that's why, yes, that's why you do that. But also, this character, there's this whole undercurrent of, like, she had taken a job somewhere else and she was going to leave and he kind of springs on it, springs it on her that he knows, like, during this hostage situation. And then by the end, she's changed her mind. She's going to go back and work with him again. Yeah. And it's like, there's these, like, sort of big swings of of character on paper that, like, I don't know. I, I don't feel like we're we're ever really under her skin at all, or in her in her head. Yeah, I have no idea what makes her decide, other than like, well, we went through hell together. Like, I guess I guess I better come back to work with you. Right. Like, and did again, she? Can... Go ahead. You can see a stronger ending where it's they're both just like, oh shit, we got to get out of this business. Let's go do something else together. Right. You know, like yes. let's, let's recover from this experience and go. You know, <laughs> defeat capitalism. This movie like, really is just like. <laughs> this movie really just like well. That's about the time. Like, we got to go. Like, it really <laughs> suddenly just, like, runs out of gas really quickly. It's yeah. really bizarre. And it's a 90-minute movie that certainly doesn't feel like it's 90 minutes. And, like, maybe it's to the detriment of this movie that it's so short because, like, you don't really get the time on a character level. You don't always understand, like, the financial world. And, like, the movie doesn't really take much pain to you know try to get us to understand it yeah yeah also i want to i don't know if either one of you watched uh, the trailer again before we started recording but there is a bruce springsteen song in the latter half of the trailer and it's to the point of parody where it's one of those just like oh you want us to feel gravitas about uh-huh. Like the American worker. And so yeah. like dial up the Springsteen and it's like, I don't know. Okay. Don't okay. Know, speaking man. of the American worker, like having worked in lower Manhattan for a yes. period of my life, the the idea of all these people gathering around to kind of watch this hostage situation play out on the street, like when there is a live bomb, presumably in the mix of all this, does that seem like something people would actually do to you guys? Where are they Rather coming than, like, from? Watch I guess they're offices. In theory, like they all work down on Pine Street. But then, like, to me, it felt like the movie really kind of misunderstanding what Occupy Wall Street was mm-hmm. and what those protests were. Because my feeling was like, it's all a lot of these like younger people. It looks like a lot of people that would be at the Occupy Wall Street uh, protests. And it's like, is the movie trying to say these people are just already there? And it's more so Clooney and O'Connell are like, you know, marching through an already existing protest. They it's- don't look like protesters, though. They look just like 
Pee no, pee there's like it. I I I think there was a lot of effort. Somebody to make... literally yells "Occupy Wall Street." I know <laughs> that was rough. Movie, as if, you know, but they try and they try and pack the margins of this movie with a lot of like working class types, right? Where like the cameraman makes sure to point out, it's just like, "Hey, I'm just doing a job here." I'm like, Lenny. Uh, yeah, I'm. They say his name so much. Goddamn Lenny. Yeah. Um, and but like it, it did make me think, Katie, of like if something like this were a real deal thing, the gawkers would be no pun intended. All the people <laughs> filing out of One World Trade, and it's all the like young twenty-something <laughs> people working in media trying to take Instagrams or whatever, and just yeah. like that's where your memification comes in. Is everybody like doing content down there? Are those people shown like recording it on their phones? I can't remember. Like, I, I mean, yes. That. Okay. But like, but not like sort of like passively, I guess. I don't, there's nothing really made of it, but yeah, there's some people yeah. dancing. They're doing like the money monster, like dance, yeah. which is so I embarrassing. Remember see- I remember seeing that part of it too. Jesus. Yeah. It's very like, this is made by rich people in their fifties who don't. Yeah. And yeah, I think that was one of the works. big parts of the criticism of it was like, a, they, the, the movie clearly got clocked for that. Um, yeah, which you're sort of asking for when you're Jodie Foster and George Clooney and Julia Roberts making a movie I about know. and they don't like, like yeah they don't have to like get everything right about how the people live but also like if Jack O'Connell's character had like not had that accent and just been like you know what Williamsburg grow like trading stocks at his desk like maybe he would have been less sympathetic but just the idea of being like we are the voice of the people and not like we yes. are just trying to look at how this stupid system works right and well and it, the movie has to do some degree of gymnastics too of like he has to have lost a lot of money in order for to drive him to do this right so like yes. he has to have lost right. $60,000 but how does somebody at that sort of economic strata like i don't i would never be at a point to lose $60,000 because i've never had $60,000 mm-hmm. all at once yeah. you know what i mean how are you betting that $60,000 right. and so they have to like market. jump through these hoops to be like oh it was an inheritance from a whatever and it's just yeah. like and all of a sudden then it becomes not a universal circumstance and what the real yeah. story is is that people who have never who have never and will at never have $60,000 to lose are getting not only stomped by this system, but like shut out of it entirely. We're like, no, people don't have a pension to lose because people don't have pensions anymore. It's like, that's the story is this system has sort of grown so powerful and so corrupt and so fucked that like most people will never have the kind of movie money to lose. And that's why the real story from that era was people who lost their homes because the uh the home loans were being offered to people who never should have been you know offered those loans in the first place yeah because, like that's like that's why that story is so because like those people who lost everything there never had it to begin with and yet they still managed to lose you know and in this particular case they just have to like gin up this like really oddly specific circumstance and they're and and no amount of working class you know, ephemera on this guy is going to make that situation relatable. Like, it's not relatable, the idea of like, oh, I lost my shirt because this tech stock went down. And it's like, well, that doesn't happen to regular people anymore because people don't have the money to lose. Well, and I also kind of, I was thinking about this while watching it again. And like, 
a lot of these like incongruous character details that like exists purely so that the story can happen as it happens made me kind of wonder if this was somewhat of a Frankenstein together script that existed mm. much more mm. like conceptually of like a guy holding a gun to uh live on air like Fox News type or whatever yeah. and then they eventually try to morph it into this Occupy Wall Street or like financial system right. uh, type of thing that it hasn't been that to begin with so it's like that's how you get these like things that don't actually make any sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. One little footnote that doesn't really have anything to do with this movie at all but Clooney did this movie this movie came out I think Three months after Hail Caesar, I think Hail Caesar was February of that year. Um, wow! Right, and like, I just wanted to mention that because I think he's very funny in that movie. Like, I think like, <laughs> and he's not even like in the top five of best performances in that movie, but like, I do think he's very funny in that one. Yeah, I pulled up Hail Caesar. I don't know. I guess I had watched Ray Fines and what it was Ray Fines in recently that I we. Oh no, I guess I watched Quiz Show. Um, oh yeah, and I was like, I was like, is Hail Caesar on Netflix? And Hail Caesar's on Netflix, and then you like go through it, and you're just like, oh shit, every scene in this is really funny. That movie, yeah, it's going to be one of those Coen's movies that everyone's like trying. I'm to, like, still in the surprised top that people there was a like the reception for that movie was real mixed, almost to like mixed negative. Like a lot of people were mm-hmm. kind of bagging on that movie, and I remember I saw it. It's the only movie I've ever seen at the cinema Cinerama Dome. Um, may wow, it hopefully R.I.P. come back. Um, well, R.I.P. for now, and I'm still hoping that some by the time people hear this, maybe it wealthy won't benefactor, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, wealthy benefactor who has sixty thousand dollars uh, to put <laughs> in, in the Dome stock. Dominic must whether or not fuck this up for everybody. Um, yeah, only movie I've ever seen there, but like I saw it and like was delighted, and I've seen it since, and like nothing has happened to change my mind that it is like it's like you know it's episodic and like you know some things work better than others but like everything works at least a little bit well and most of it is like great down to like francis mcdormand barely talking in one scene and like and almost getting beheaded by what by an editing machine (laughs) no she's an editor she's trying to like edit and all of a sudden she like gets her little her her, uh scarf caught in it but it's so funny and Tilda's great. Obviously, Alden Ehrenreich should have been nominated for That's an Oscar the movie for that. that should have made him a movie star, not yeah. Solo, which I think like must have burned him really hard. Because where is where Alden Ehrenreich? I know, I know. It's uh, such a bummer. Yeah, I mean, speaking of where Channing Tatum, where have you gone? Like, there's no. If you like Channing Tatum, there's no greater gift than that uh, scene that was heavily 100%. played in the trailers, and then it comes in the movie, and you're just like, oh yeah, this is. Exactly what I was hoping. One for. of my great <laughs> grudges against the uh, song nominating committee at the Oscars yeah. is that like that never even seemed like it was a consideration for no. people. I don't know if they submitted it or not. It, I don't it, think I they know did. It didn't make the Bake Off list. Yeah. I'm not positive if it was in the like super long list of what was eligible. It's one of those like I feel like I'm taking crazy pills thing where I was just like, what is wrong with everybody? This was great. Even the people who didn't like the movie said they liked this scene. Like. It's an original song written specifically for the movie. It's right in the middle of it. It's not over the credits. What the fuck more do you want? It's great. I don't think they did much of an actual campaign. No, they did Because I remember when it got that production design <coughs> nomination, people were like, well, they didn't do anything to get this nomination other than just put the movie out there. Right. Uh, yeah, this is the original song year that will make you feel like a true maniac because it's that. It is um, Sing Street, 
It's out the same year. Yep. Oh. Uh, doesn't there... get nominated. And then How Far I'll Go, a great song from Moana, loses to a bad song from La La Land. From La La Land. It's even like, even when you get to the actual nominees, the injustices continue. Wait, I want to pull it up because like, I remember that year was so good for original songs as a field that like before the Oscar nominations, I made like a full on playlist. I of... definitely was still writing about best original song during this year yeah. too so i would have had we talked about this a lot post. um but hold on a second i want to pull it up because like genuinely i was like also, I, I, this is my ahead. moment where i'm going to stick up for justin timberlake song from the trolls movie which is great it opened the oscars that year that was great no problems with it whatsoever and i get why no one wants to talk about justin timberlake good song no it is a good like that's the thing is it this was the this was the year that um Sia had like eight billion songs, but one of them was the one from Zootopia, uh-huh. uh, which fucking Wait, no. rules. Which was not nominated. Nope, which was not nominated, which fucking rules. Wait, the um, one that Shakira sings? Yes. That Sia was wrote a Sia that. Song. Wow. Yeah. Yes. But that was also the one where she had that song from the Eagle Huntress, and she had um uh fuck, there was something from Hidden Figures? I can't remember. It was from something. Yes, Hidden Figures had uh, two songs. I'm pulling up the full eligibility. Oh, I'm so of, excited. I'm uh, so glad we got here. <laughs> yeah. Hail Caesar is not on that list. Yeah. No, it was it, it was it's infuriating. Um Sing Street, Katie, you mentioned, but like that could have had multiple nominees on its own. Um, I mean, the fact that that didn't get to be the once like path for you know original song win like it just seemed like such a guarantee and i don't i guess was sing street yc movie it was just in a bad it was, it was in a bad mm. spot they kind of dumped it in the spring yeah yep um moana could have had more than one like people really liked shiny like that mm-hmm. could have definitely been a nominee um it wouldn't have been eligible because it's a cover but like regina specter's cover of while my guitar gently weeps from kubo and the two strings fucking rules it's like really really good um Ba, 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 ba. Oh, I'm the so humble from, from uh, that's supposed to be like the shitty song would have been the best song to win from La La Land. Oh, the song, the John Legend song. Yes. Oh, that's not a good song. I I reject this. Like it's better than the songs that were nominated. I like Wait. the Fools Who Dream. I think that's fine. But like Yo, the best did, songs did you, from La La Land up- are uh, someone in the crowd and. Another yes. song, as far as yes, I can see. Yes, yes, um, yes, did sure. you bring up uh, I'm So Humble because Popstar yes. was that same year? Popstar was God, that same year. There's so many brilliant songs. In, but did, were any of them, did any of them make the shortlist? Some of them uh, made the shortlist, but like none of the ones I'm that so I mentioned. I'm So Humble is the only one that was on the eligibility list. Yeah. Now I'm looking up the Popstar track list to remember which one is my favorite from that movie. And it wasn't exactly a banger, but like Tori Amos had a song that year from uh, a documentary on netflix about sexual assault and it was like the year after the lady gaga song from the documentary about sexual assault so like i knew it wasn't going to happen but like i am of course a nut for tori amos so i was just like that could have happened too maybe if you were going to go for like something sad and just like no nothing it's weird jesus just scrolling through this list there were seriously 20 songs that was either sung or written by sia right it was like it really was her year, and it's crazy that she didn't get she didn't get nominated for anything, right? It wasn't even like something that wasn't that good that she got. Like she didn't get remember anything. music. Oh yeah, oh she sure is do. motion. Picture, no, we don't have to music. talk about that. We don't have to talk about music. I wanted to note uh, someone who did get there. Do uh, Emma Stone shows up in pop star to sing "Turn Up the Beef" and uh, got an Oscar that same year. I don't think that's a coincidence. It is not a coincidence. <laughs> it's not. 
Um, <laughs> that's what that second envelope was that uh, Warren Beatty grabbed. Was <laughs> it was for, for her, her Oscar for Turn Up the Beef. That was her Oscar for Popstar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I wanted for really briefly bring up the 2016 Cannes Film Festival because this was where uh, Money Monster premiered out of competition along with, listen to this collection of movies that premiered out of competition. So it was that. Uh, it was Train to Busan, which has become uh, this like cult hit that people really love. That movie rules. Um, the Nice Guys, the Shane Black movie, The Nice Guys, that like I thought was really funny. And I am not a Russell Crowe person. And I really thought Ryan Gosling especially was like super, super funny in that. Um, I don't know how either one of you guys feel about that movie. but I didn't care for it. Yeah, I'm not... not- uh, Shane Black and I really uh, don't mix that well. He's not always my favorite. That one, I went in with very low expectations, and it really won me over. Um, who's the, who's the, is it his daughter is somebody in that, or somebody? Oh, there is a daughter. Oh, and Gory Rice, who was in uh, Mayor of Easttown, was uh, his yes. daughter. Oh, yeah. In that. And also Margaret Qualley is in that. So, yes. Um, well cast, that movie. But that was... Um, Cafe Society was the opening night film. Oh, Lord. Woody Allen's Cafe Society, which I will say, nobody needs to be defending Woody Allen, but like of his like late era terrible movies, that one I thought was pretty watchable and kind of charming. Was that the last one that got taken seriously? No, because one of the Emma Stones, I believe, was after this. And Wonder Wheel played at New York Film Festival. Yes. Like, yes. Wonder Wheel was the end of it. Wonder, Wonder Wheel was the Wheel one was that, the like, last one. It, as in the middle of that movie premiering, people were like, yeah, we can't do this anymore. Yeah, because Wonder Wheel came out in 2017, which is the Me Too yes. year. Yes, exactly. They canceled the New York Film Festival red carpet, right? Oh, my God. I think that's true. I think. Have you guys. 2017 movies like that Oscar season is so crazy. It's a uh, weird, weird year. Dark time. I don't know if you guys have gotten to that in your flashbacks yet, but man. not too much. We, we've done 2017 stuff before because we've done Mother. I the more I think about 2017, the more I'm just like, thank God we had Lady Bird that year because like it was yeah. such an oasis of like pure goodness and nobody had to like you never had to argue about lady bird even if people didn't like it they just sort of like kind of quietly didn't like it nobody had to make a big deal about anything and like mostly you just kind of loved it and and you know appreciated it for what it was i think of call me by your name and lady bird paired in that way for me although call me by your name had some controversy at the time obviously no yeah call me by your name yeah call me by your name led me to some like really snitty moments where I'm just like yelling at gay people who wanted it to have like explicit sex scenes. And I was just like, you're fucking stupid. (laughs) But other than that, uh, Lady Bird was very uncomplicated for me. But then also the BFG was the, was the other big uh, out of competition movie. Oh my God. Right. Which I've still never seen. Cause no, me neither. I don't need to save yourselves. I don't need to. I don't think yeah. I'm going to hate it. I just like it. Just seems boring to me. No one needs to be a Spielberg completist for no. Just for the sake of it. I, listen, I love Warhorse enough to not have to see the BFG. <laughs> like that's that's my transaction. I paid ask, at the office. You asked me to see the BFG instead of watching Lincoln again. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and then competition that year was also really good, though. Like L, uh, Paul Verhoeven's L was that year. The Handmaiden was that year. Um, Pedro Almodovar's Julieta, which I loved. American I Honey. Um, 
uh, Patterson, Tony Erdman, Tony Erdman, which I love Jim Jarmusch's Patterson, uh, Olivier Assayas's personal, uh, personal shopper, the salesman was that year, and then what wins the Palm d'Or is Ken Loach's I Daniel Blake, a movie that nobody ever talks about ever or saw. No, Fr- like from the moment it won, people were like, "Yeah, I'm not going to see that movie." And it's just like, <laughs> like life's too short. I don't even know how long it is. Like Tony Erdman was the long one that year. Yeah, it's only a hundred minutes, but people were just like Ken Loach wins in Palm Door is just like I don't need to see that, do I? And the people who saw it were like, "No, you don't." <laughs> and that was it. It's not bad. It's just you don't need to see it. It's like okay. This go- is my favorite Cannes ceremony though, because this is when Xavier Dolan wins the Grand Prix. Oh and right. They- who, whatever bitchy gay person is working the control board, cuts to a completely nonplussed Mads Mikkelsen. Just like no words for Xavier Dolan's uh, emotionalism in winning his prize and crying for several minutes. That uh, wasn't even the biggest belly flop of that festival, though, because that was also the year of Sean Penn directing that movie with Charlize Theron and. Javier Bardem. Where he has that like wig and all that makeup. Oh no, that's the one that's like set in Africa. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. The last face. Workers or something. Something like that. This is the movie that made Cannes change their uh, embargo rules because the press saw it before the premiere and was tweeting stuff about how shitty the movie was and apparently (laughs) pissed Sean Penn off who has to walk the red carpet uh, for this movie that uh, has been eviscerated already. I can't believe something would have pissed Sean Penn off. It's crazy. <laughs> That's wild. Joe, you Wait. went down that laundry list of like acclaimed international titles. I was like, I haven't seen any of these. What the fuck? Oh, was Katie, I doing? you should see a bunch of those. They're all yeah, really good. Yeah, but I, I yeah. went on maternity leave. I was, I was gonna say, was yeah, where where was yeah. this in your maternity <laughs> I was journey? Like, this yeah. is why I did not see. You were any having of a child. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm now like you know, this year. I'm doing much better on international features than I have in a while. I'm like, okay, I'm out of the I'm climbing out of the valley where I can. <laughs> see things again wait katie i did i did want to uh bring this up i'm glad you uh uh, mentioned uh your work situation though um if if at least elliptically for money monster do you remember any kind of uh did you like did vanity fair do any features on any of the money monster people you mentioned katrina balf obviously so you were doing something about her for this movie or for outlander yeah it was was for this movie i probably was the only one who did anything and i had a very uh oh let's see somebody interviewed jodie foster at can i guess julie miller talked to her at can so yeah we were at we had like our can party that year probably sure sure jodie foster did some press um and then yeah i talked to katrina balf and who was lovely but um yeah that seems to be i don't think there was like no one was on the cover of Vanity Fair for this, as far as I know. She is so beautiful. Like, she's a great actress. I don't want to, like, diminish her or whatever by, like, bringing up, like, her beauty. But, like, she's, like, so incredibly beautiful in uh, in Belfast. Yeah. That, like, it's – she's – I really like her in that movie. And also she has this one moment towards the end, the moment in the trailer where uh, uh, Jamie Dornan is singing – uh, she's dancing also at that in that scene, and she's so captivating and just really like lovely and charming. And I don't know, I really like her in that movie. And well, like the rule about you know, like there's everyone in a movie is going to be more beautiful than people in real life. And so when you're making a movie yes. about your own childhood, like you're Kenneth Branagh, you're casting beautiful people. But he like pays attention to how beautiful the people are that he casts his parents in Belfast. It's like a plot point almost how incredible they are. Well, and it seemed for a second. That, like, Outlander had its moment, 
like which was around Money Monster time, actually. Yes, but like yeah. she was like she had did she win like a Golden Globe or a SAG or something like that, or she was nominated for some stuff, and um, it really seemed like she was sort of on the cusp. And before Belfast, it made me realize that like oh we haven't really seen her in anything. Maybe she was on like another television show that just like well, she was in Ford versus Ferrari, which is easy to forget. Yeah, it is because I yeah. totally forgot it. Um, but I would love for her to sort of, you know, for this movie to be a road back to her being in more movies that I see and remember because, and she also is part of that, um, sorority with Carrie Coon and Anna Torv where they all look <laughs> similar enough that I want them to play sisters in a movie. Like, speaking of Woody Allen, we don't need to remake Hannah and her sisters, but like, give me the Hannah and her sisters of those three. Like, just like. I- <laughs> Um, I just had a real like flash of revelation looking at Katrina Bout's IMDb page because for the Fighting in the War Room episode where we're talking about 2011 movies, not to bring it up again, uh-huh. uh, I rewatched Super 8, which I had not seen since 2011, and there's all these flashback scenes with the mom, and I was like, she looks like Katrina Bout. That's not her. She's just on my mind. It is her. It was no her kidding. Film role. Oh wow. She's That's like mostly amazing. in still photos and home videos. I think entirely. <laughs> I had no idea. That's wow. a good pull on your part, though. That's. I mean, really... I like I brush it off because I was like that. Wouldn't have been her. That doesn't make any sense. But that's fantastic. Yeah. God, good job, man. Super Eight. That's like a movie that people don't really talk about anymore either. That is like, yeah. But it's so much better than I think the things that came after that were sort of trying to be Super Eight, right? Yeah. I stick up for Stranger Things in a lot of ways, like not entirely, but like certain, you know, aspects of that show I think are better than people give it credit for. But, like, it doesn't hold a candle to Super 8. And, like, the new Ghostbusters seems like it's trying to do a Super 8 thing. And it's just, like, I'd rather just watch Super 8 again. Is the new Ghostbusters out yet? Are we in the post-Ghostbusters time? Chris, you know release dates better than I do. Uh, That is a Thanksgiving movie. I believe it opens the week this episode drops. There we go. Thank you very much. Or it might have been, like, the pre... No, I think it's the 19th, so the movie should be out by now. Oh, speaking of Carrie Coon, actually. I forgot she was in that. Yeah. God, uh, give Carrie her Coon better deserves better than fucking Ghostbusters. It's true. More people. Need I mean, to so does that. everybody in Ghostbusters. Again, I know nobody likes the Stranger Things kid, but I think he deserves better than that too. Um, justice for him in the Goldfinch. I'm the only person who likes him in the Goldfinch, but I think he's, he's good in the, in the Goldfinch. I like him Goldfinch. in the Goldfinch. Oh, no. Goldfinch is bad. He's good. He is. Um, and also Paul Rudd. God, I watched. I just reviewed for Prime Timer um, the Paul Rudd TV show on. Uh, Apple TV Plus, The Shrink Next Door, the one that's oh, yeah. based on the podcast, that uh, all that show made me do was want to go and watch, listen to that podcast because I'm like, the podcast is going to get to the fucking point and not dilly-dally around for like many episodes and make me wait to get to the good part. Like, So it's like the opposite of uh, Only Murders in the Building where it really is a... Uh, oh, Only Murders in the Building. Only Murders in the Building. A, a complete oasis of a television program. Yeah. It is, it is the ladybird of this year's TV season, which is something you get to like. <laughs> that is, that don't is absolutely about accurate. Much. So many shows that I like nowadays that could conceivably end after one season, I get so mad when they don't end after one season. Like, talk to me once they announce that Mayor of Easttown is coming back for season two and you will mm-hmm. watch me murder something. Mm-hmm. Like, some, the nearest, like, mailbox will get torn out of its hinges or something. Like, something will happen. <laughs> um, I'll get so mad. But, like, Only Murders in the Building is the rare show that, like, like, could have ended after one season and it would have been a perfect little season, but they're like, we're going to do a second season. And I was just like, yes, good. Like, this can, this can, you know, accommodate that. 
and it could cast more people of this perfect strata of guest star that like it's exactly the sweet spot of what I want where it's just like yeah. Michael Cyril Creighton and Jane Howdeshell and Jackie Hoffman and um uh, uh what's her face from uh from High Oklahoma? Fidelity no from High Fidelity Chris oh. your fave oh uh Divine Joy Randolph Divine Joy Randolph oh, yeah. yes so no, good. I was thinking of um, Ali Stroker, who won the Tony for Ali Stroker. Ali Stroker, yeah, uh, uh, Jabuki Young White. Like it's so well cast. The guest cast on Only Murders in the Building rules, and also, again, speaking as somebody of looking for a new apartment experience, the <laughs> the deep sighs that I let out watching that movie or watching that show, being like all of my Upper West Side hopes and dreams. Like that's these all people I don't think appreciate of. these apartments enough. I would oh, appreciate them. My God, you would live in. Selena Gomez's rundown apartment. Oh, oh yeah, that place God. is huge. I would live in the yeah. air ducts of that building. Like I swear <laughs> to God, it's all I could afford in that and building. You'd but witness all the murders. I would. God, I would be so. Uh, I would be so important to the plot of that movie or that show. <laughs> anyway, you'd be the Amy Ryan of season two. <laughs> She's so good on that too. But also, like, you know, credit where credit is due. Martin Short and Steve Martin are having yeah. their moment on that show, and God bless them. I'm so happy for them. I feel like it's the least hip thing in the world to be like, you know who's really funny is Steve I'm saying, Martin. I'm saying, <laughs> I agree so with you. True. But it's so true in this case. Like every single time they reference Brazos on that show, I'm just like, chef's kiss. It's perfect. <laughs> um, uh, and then the the cameo that I don't, I know most people have seen who shows up to play his uh, body double from Brazos, but like, I don't even want to give it away because it's such a great gag. Yeah. Um, love that show. All right. Anything we want to say to wrap up our Money Monster discussion? Uh, Greta Lee is in this. Greta Lee is in this. We all recognized her, which is incredible. I will say, I really like Emily Mead as an actress. And part of me felt bad that all she had to do in this movie is be like the shrew of the movie. But like, it was such a uh, surprise little twist and turn in what was expected that I really appreciated her. And I don't know. I, uh, props to her for that. Yeah. It's a really broad character, but it's a, it's a fun plot purpose that she gets to serve. Yeah, I agree. I will end on a hopeful note for us all because I mentioned the oceans of it all. This will not be the last time that we will see George Clooney and Julia Roberts reunited. They are doing, uh, the latest movie from Ol Parker, the Mamma Mia <gasps> 2 guy, Yay! Mr. Tandiwe Newton. Uh, let me just read you the logline of this movie. I'm guessing Caitlin Deaver is playing their daughter. She's in the cast list. Love it. Good choice. But a divorced couple that teams up and travels to Bali to stop their daughter from making the same mistake they think they made 25 years ago. <gasps> Are they going to get back together on this island? This because sounds. This is I Mama am so Mia excited too, for whatever this will be. This sounds like it has Mamma Mia energy. I'm very. Oh, it is called yeah. Ticket to Paradise. Ol Parker, of course, who not only directed Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, but also uh, the second best exotic Marigold Hotel, which is a good sequel to a good movie. Should we do IMDb game? Yeah. Yes, let's do it. Chris, tell the listeners. 
You guys, every episode we end with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we will mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we'll get the remaining titles release years as a clue, and if that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints and uh, Lakers dancers and, uh, <laughs> you know, stuff. Swat team. George Clooney people and funny on the uh, catwalk above us. Right. George Clooney making jokes about balls. That was a whole other section of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Katie, as our illustrious guest, uh, would you like to... All right, you got two decisions to make. Do you want to give or guess first? And in which direction do you want to set this little round robin going? Um, I will give first because I will be thinking about how this is going to go when I do my own thing if I don't go first. And then I guess... <laughs> I'm going to pick Joe to give to. All right. So you will give to me. I will give to Chris. Chris will give to you. So you started off, Katie. Let's hear what you got. Okay. I'm picking a, psych- a psychotically hard one um, in the hopes <laughs> that you would not do the same for me. Um, but I felt like uh, you could handle it. So I was going on the Jack O'Connell route and looking at his big breakout in Start Up, uh, which came out in 2013. And he's in that. The big uh, other player in that is Ben Mendelsohn. But ben Mendelsohn. I, I assumed you guys had done Ben Mendelsohn at some point. I might have even done it with you guys at some point at Brighton Bell. So I went with another person <laughs> who has a name who's in that movie, which is Rupert Friend. <laughs> Rupert Friend. This is. Is there any television? Uh, no, there's not. So not. So no Homeland. No. Great. Okay. That helps, right? Sure, I guess. It would help more (laughs) if it was Homeland. (laughs) Um, All right. Um, Well, my favorite performance of his of all time, uh, we mentioned this movie in relation to Andrea Riseborough recently, but um, Rupert Friend in Death of Stalin is so fucking funny. Um, When he tries to spit on the people who are holding him down and it lands on his face is hysterical. (laughs) He also calls the hockey team a pack of clattering fannies. It's so funny. Um, So I'm going to guess Death of Stalin. Yes, that is on there. Okay. I'm also going to guess, oh, this is such a shot in the dark, The Young Victoria. Yes! Ha ha! All right, two for two. He's on the poster in that. Yeah, but who remembers The Young Victoria? And also, if you had put Rupert Friend in the, like, rundown of Killian Murphy and everyone else, like, I would not never have nailed him down. So this is why I'm yeah. glad you're doing this and not me. All right. Rupert Friend could be a subject of a... Like, Rupert Friend, Douglas Booth. Um, <laughs> no, Douglas Booth belongs in the one with, like, Brenton Thwaites. Like, oh, that's yeah. a whole other... Yeah. That's a whole other one. We've got so many more, Katie. Keep on coming on so I can keep doing this psychotic quiz for you guys. Okay. Um, all right. Well, if people remember the young Victoria, maybe they remember Cherie? No. No. Strike okay. one. He's so hot in Cherie. God damn it, he's so hot in that movie. Michelle Pfeiffer knew what she was doing in that one. <laughs> um, all right. Rupert Friend. British stuff. I feel like he was in something when he was like just starting out that I'm not going to remember. I think you, yeah, I think you're on a good track there. Yeah. It's like something gay, right? Oh, maybe. That's not oh, what I'm maybe thinking not. of, though. No, maybe I'm confusing him with something else. No, I think I'm confusing him with Rupert Graves. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Rupert Friend. Um, Shoot. This is going to bother me now. Okay. Really You're doing great. Been Homeland. No, I'm doing okay. Now I'm going to have to start, like, guessing things that, like, 
maybe he's in, but maybe he's not. Um, so you can get some hints. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Is he in um, State of Play? Ooh, no. no. Or that's at least not in his known form. Yes. I guess he would be more likely in the British State of Play. You mean, you mean the movie version that... Have you guys done that as of the set Oscar buzz? No, should. but we should. That would be a good one. That TV show was so good, and the movie was not as good. Okay. No. Um, so okay. That's so my now wait. So now second that's your two. Okay. So now you have 2015 and, tw- and 2005. A ten-year gap. Okay. So the 2005 one's the early one. Yes. 2005 British thing, mm-hmm. which has a lot of actors in it, and like we talk about all these actors, but nobody ever talks about. Is he in Mrs. Rupert Henderson Presents? No. Uh, no. Aim, aim better and better, better remembered. Okay. This is a movie. 2000- this is a movie that's like that's very still well loved. Okay. Launched a director that the three of us all yes. love. Oh, it's Pride and Prejudice. Yes. I didn't remember him in that. He's yes. Wickham. He's the the shit heel. But, of course he is. Yeah, You're right. He's handsome and untrustworthy. <laughs> Oh, you're right. (laughs) All right. The other one is 2015. The last one is kind of brutal, but he he is the star of this movie. Uh, Wait, have we, did I talk about it in my quiz that I gave you? No, no, no. definitely not. So it's not Free Fire. No, this is a movie that I would not know existed if I were not looking at this IMDb page. All right. Is he like a main star is it an ensemble he thing? is the t- he is the titular role oh. it is a franchise movie that he was not previously in um he replaced the original headline yeah and it's a oh, it's a based on a video game oh shit i know it's this is rough <laughs> I can tell you the original headliner might give it. Is away he too when much. you say titular do you mean it's a name or do you mean like he's the assassin in assassin's creed um a little bit of both. I, I mean, think? assassin is pretty yeah, close to it. I, I think. Yeah, think of think of a synonym for assassin, and you might get the title. Hitman, the Hitman, yeah, Hitman, it, just Hitman, it, Hitman it, Two, Hitman uh, Electric Boogaloo, Hitman <laughs> Never Stop, Never Stop. Keep going, perhaps go forty-five <laughs> times more. Hitman, here we go again. Uh, wait, forty-five times 40, more. Two, uh, Hitman Two plus forty-five uh, colon agent. Hitman for Agent Forty Seven. <laughs> yeah. There we go. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's really rough. Two things about Rupert Friend. Whenever somebody brings up Rupert Friend, I remember the line from Silence of the Lambs. Uh, Buffalo Bill's real name is Louis Friend. Louis Friend, right, exactly. <laughs> um, and also, uh, Rupert Friend's third credit uh, Third credit is the movie that uh, we originated the candle movie idea from, Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont <laughs> with Joan Flower. Oh, the sweater movie? The movie yes, with him in no, that the giant movie, the sweater? Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, he's in a giant, like, scarf and sweater. It looks like the poster has <laughs> since updated from the one that we Oh, that sucks. Of. That original poster was so good. It was the fluffiest sweater I'd ever seen. Well, you, um, you guessing he was in Mrs. Henderson, Henderson Presents really wasn't so far off with Mrs. No, Palfrey in the Claremont. No, it really wasn't. There. I was also <laughs> thinking, right. while we're talking about Rupert Friend, he's really good in At Eternity's Gate, a movie that is fine in varying ways, but he he's... Uh, um, Van Gogh's brother and shows up in these really lovely scenes. Sure, yeah. right. Remember how Oscar Isaac plays? Uh, is it Gauguin in yeah. that movie? Yes. And nobody, like you could, nobody could tell you a single thing about him in that movie whatsoever. Nope. It's so weird. What a weird Oscar nomination weird, that was. Weird okay. nomination. 
All right. I'm glad I did as well as I did in that one. You really that did. was very tough. <laughs> All right. Chris, I'm giving to you. Um, yes. So we talked about Jodie Foster's directorial career. Her very first movie was a movie called Little Man Tate, where she starred opposite one Diane Wiest. And somehow wow. we've never done wow. Diane Wiest before on this. How have we never done Diane I Wiest? I don't know. But have at it. Interesting. Um, Hannah and her sisters. Correct. Her first Oscar. Uh, Edward Scissorhands. Correct. Avon Calling. Uh, <laughs> Diane Wiest is here. She's so... I will say, for as much as the Oscars have been very good to Diane Wiest, I will always be a little sad that they didn't appreciate that movie because she was so incredibly worthy of a supporting actress nomination for that movie. She's so wonderful in that. The supporting actress nomination for that movie is Kathy Baker. Thank you. Listen, there's room enough for both, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I love you, Diane Ladd and Wild at Heart, but, like, you could have made room. It's fine. Oh, ouch. Um, I don't know. Like uh, okay. The question is, do I think the other Oscar nomination is in there? Or her other Oscar win, I mean. And that... I'm just going to say yes, Bullets Over Broadway. Correct. You are three for well three. Done. Bullets Over Broadway. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Pressure. Could you go four for four? Because I almost got a perfect score last time, too. Okay. Um, and I said mm-hmm. no television, so it's not her upcoming CBS series, Mayor of Kingstown, with Jeremy Which Renner. is not a Mayor of Easttown spinoff. Are you which kidding I Which is not Fusing. a Mayor of Easttown spinoff. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, fine. Um uh okay. Uh, I'm going to guess because we are coming off of spooky season, practical magic. Unfortunately, no. Her turn as Aunt Jet. What's the other one? Aunt I can't remember the Stalker Channing character, but I think Diane Weist is Aunt Jet. Anyway, no, it's not that. Can I also say though, speaking of CBS, Diane Weist since 2019, so in the last two years, has been in as many CBS series as she's been in feature films. Yikes. Oh, wow. She was on Life in Pieces, she's on Mayor of Kingstown, and then she has two other movies, and that has been what she's up to. And man, she can do what she wants at this point, Listen, get your money, Diane, get your Mm -hmm. money. All right, one strike. Um, uh, I guess my last guess is going to be The Birdcage. The birdcage is correct. Thank you goodness. Got it. She Perfect is, again, movie. phenomenally good in that movie. Everybody is, of course. <laughs> but her line reading of Somebody Has to Like Me Best is <laughs> one of my favorites in a movie with like 8 billion fantastic line readings. Um, before we leave, Diane, can I, I have to ask you guys, have you seen the movie The Ten that has all of the state people and Paul Rudd and, you know, the White Hat American no. Summer Crew? So, I feel like I have, but I don't remember much about so it. So it's it's a very weird movie, as with all the anthologies. But it's about the Ten Commandments, right? Yes. Each one is like a little vignette about the Ten Commandments. And and they connect. And I, I honestly don't even remember yeah. how this happens, but at one point, Paul Rudd, near the end of the movie, runs into his ex. And she's like, oh, how you been? He's like, yeah, I'm dating again. I'm, I, I'm dating Diane Wiest, actually. And then... <laughs> I just I hear Paul Rudd's voice saying Diane Weist every time that that's so that her name comes. God, up. speaking of somebody who can give a good line reading, oh yeah, Lord. All right, good job, Chris. Diane Weist, indeed. 
Oh, okay. So, Katie, for you, I have also a... Uh, I went back through Jodie Foster's directorial uh, output, and I went uh, somewhat more tragically with her star of The Beaver, uh, Mr. Anton Yelchin, Ooh. who I thought Joe was going to deceive us uh, in his game. I know. Well, I guess he's uh, he was too American, or I guess he was not born in America, but... So, anyway, um, yeah, sad story with Anton Yelchin. Uh, it makes me sad. Okay. Let's start with the first Star Trek. Correct. Okay. He is wonderful in the Star Treks. He really is he wonderful is. in the Star Treks. Um, he made so many small movies. And I feel like he had all these child movies that I'm not going to remember all that well. Um. Is Light Crazy on there? Light Crazy is on there. Oh, yay! That movie's not great, but he's he's good. The movie isn't great. You're right, but he's charming. Um. All right. Let's. Is the second Star Trek on there? Star Trek Into Darkness. No. Okay. Am I out of? You're not going to tell me if I'm out of Star Trek. I got to guess again. (laughs) Um. All right. I think he is in Alpha Dog. (laughs) Which is a movie I've never seen. He is, he is an he alpha is dog, dog, but that is incorrect. So okay. you, your years are 2001 and 2015. Oh, 2001. Oh, see, that's the like kid acting thing yeah. that I was thinking about that I... Oh my this God. is a uh, notorious uh, September 11th cinema. <laughs> oh, like a movie that was out Yeah, around, that opened uh... like a week or two after 9-11. Oh, yeah. I yes. doubt he's in glitter um <laughs> is he in that movie that had like the upside down american flag in the posters and they had to like pull it out of marketing do you know what i'm talking uh, about like, i don't think that was this poster i know what one you're talking about i can't remember the title of it that like action blockbuster thing uh, collateral damage well that yeah. got pushed completely yeah Okay, Notorious Post 11 Cinema. All right, I guess get that one for now. Uh, 2015. It's an adaptation of an author who gets a lot of adaptations these days. Ooh. I uh, was just thinking, like, Metrograph should do a series on, like, Notorious Post 9 <laughs> Cinema. Really and it's should. like, just redo the fall of 2001 and, like, run all those movies for a month. Um, okay, you say these days, it's, it's not Stephen King, is it? It's Stephen King. Okay, he's kind of getting uh, a ton of adaptations all the time, really. Yeah. This is an adaptation Um, of a Stephen King short story from, like, one of his books that has a bunch of short stories, I believe. Oh. Like a novella, I think. It was one of those, like, novella collections. It's not Dr. Sleep. No. Yeah, it's not Dr. Sleep. That's more recent than that. Uh, They didn't remake Stand By Me. The headline star uh, is a very recent Oscar winner. Oh. Yes. Um... Okay. It's not Daniel Kaluuya, probably. Um, I feel, oh, is it Anthony Hopkins? Yes. That, okay, well, he was in, what, Hearts in Atlantis. Yes, is it is Hearts in Atlantis. <laughs> Wait, 2015? No, you were, you're talking about 2001. 2001. Oh, this is the 2001. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. So now it's Hearts in Atlantis. Okay. I was thinking the, I was thinking that was the 2015. Oh, movie. no, 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 no. The 2015 okay. movie, though, was mentioned earlier in this episode. Oh. In the so game not- that Joe gave us. Oh my god. Um is it is he in in the heart of the sea? No. No, that was later. <laughs> this um, is the movie that he gave us that I guessed Anton Yelchin. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Free Fire? No. No. 
Close. Oh, also my. an A24 movie. This is... You, um, uh, you would think I've been here this whole time and paying attention. And yet. <laughs> <laughs> Callum Turner is in this movie. You were going through the Jack Rayner uh, filmography in your head. I while this know. Was um, this is the one that also has Callum Turner in yes. it? Yes. Oh, Green Room. Green Room. Green Room. I never saw that one, but I, people like thought oh. he was good in that. It's one. intense. It's, uh, it's if, good. Uh, you don't like the the like scary yeah. violent movies. No, it's, just, so. it's not going to be yeah. for me. Yeah. Uh, and then he dies. What in like 2016, 2017? Uh, 2017. Yeah. No, 2016. Ugh. Ugh. Very sad. Yeah. So he's a kid in Hearts in Atlantis, huh? Yes. Uh, I never saw that movie. Oh. He's also that same year he was in um, Along Came a Spider, which was the uh, Alex Cross movie, the second of the Alex Cross movies, mm-hmm. playing just a fully Russian little kid, Dmitry Starodubov uh, in that movie. So I'm trying to remember. Like, I guess I was aware of who he was before Star Trek because of like Alpha Dog and Fierce People and Charlie Ballin. Alpha Dog was the big one because he was like the focus of that movie's plot was like he gets kidnapped by like yeah. mean kids or whatever. I also thought he was good in Terminator Salvation, a movie that I think has been rightly forgotten, but uh, he yes. was Kyle Reese and was not yeah. The credit in Star Trek Beyond when his when they say like dedicated oh, so to sad. Anton Yelchin, I burst into tears in the theater it was so surprising to me because like i wasn't expecting to and all of a sudden like i'm watching the movie and i was just like oh it's so sad that he died and then they get to the end and they're like we did it they said there was like some like nice mention about like uh anton yelchin and i just zero to 60 burst into tears it was the craziest thing well that movie was so like cheerful and low-key compared to the i love that's my favorite star trek beyond is really good yeah i really like it a lot yeah, I love 2009 Star Trek. Holds a huge, huge place in my heart. Um, well, Winona Ryder. I mean, I mean, yeah, she gets blown up on a uh, Tatooine, whatever the fuck. <laughs> Wait, no, she doesn't get blown up though. Don't they rescue her? I can't remember. I don't now. remember. I don't, I don't remember what happens in action movies. I guess I gotta look this up now. I will say, speaking of the movies of that ilk, um, I was watching uh, one of the cable. It must have been TNT, maybe or TBS was running all the Star Trek movies in like chronological order, and so they had Rogue One right going into the the first Star Trek. I still think Rogue wait, One is wait, the best. Okay, you just called it Star Trek instead of Star Wars. I just have to or Star Wars. Sorry, sorry, sorry. All this stuff is swirling in my head. Uh, Rogue One going into the first Star Wars. Rogue One going into the first Star Trek would be weird. People would have been like, what's going on? <laughs> what happened? Peter Nerds Cushing is, rioted. is what? Yeah. Um, no, I think Rogue One is my favorite of the new Star Trek. Or Star Wars. Fuck. <laughs> of the new Star Wars movies. Um, I keep trying to say something incendiary and I'm tripping myself Katie, up. Katie, next time you come back, we're going to uh, just, we're going to make a quiz for Joe where we say plot lines <laughs> Star Trek and Star Wars movies, and he has to tell us. Can Joe tell apart the most wide-ranging and popular science fiction franchises of all time? It would be really fun to be like this alien race kidnaps this human. (laughs) Like take out all the proper nouns, because then it might be really hard. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Anyway, justice for Rogue One. Okay, Katie Rich, thank you again for joining us. What a delight. We love having you. You are our. You are. Guest you royalty. are like. You're like second, but very close second to stuffing, as far as our favorite uh, Thanksgiving <laughs> traditions. So, um, you are ahead of the cranberry sauce. So uh, uh, very you gotta good. have the stuffing and the cranberry sauce combined. That's no, it's true. It's true. That's um, the key. 
Yeah, that is the key. So again, uh, the invitation is always open. We love having you. We love showing up on your podcasts. Like this is uh this is a we got a good thing going yeah, here. We got a good racket happening. You guys will be back soon. I will continue listening and texting you about things that you recorded a month earlier. And you'll be yes. like, oh yeah, we talked about Thank that. Thank you. Huh? No, I always appreciate that. Uh, it's always very fun. So, uh, uh, wait, Chris, before we send Katie on her way, is there anything we need to talk about? Uh, mailbag or uh, we will, or just a we reminder that? that we are both doing a listener's choice episode and a mailbag episode so send us in your questions to be answered on our mailbag episode you have still about another week to do so and then send in your listener's choice uh one movie per listener nothing after 2019 can't wait to do those all right katie where can our listeners find you if they want to read more from you or see your thoughts on things or maybe you don't want them to <laughs> we want to stay alone on your little internet island and that is fun oh too. what an option that would be uh you can find yeah. me on the little gold men podcast of vanity fair talking about this oscar race and uh you know future this had oscar buzz contenders i'm sure yeah. are already out there and then on the uh, heavily promoted fighting in the war room this <laughs> this episode um yes where we're doing a quarter quill talking about super eight and uh oh. um what was it whatever the other thing water for elephants uh and some other movies and other stuff on a weekly basis and uh, I love oh, the yeah. fighting in the war room quarter quells most especially. So like, I cannot wait. The fact that we're I doing still... this as our 10th anniversary because it was actually last year, but we forgot and thought it was this year. And now we're just doing it as an anniversary <laughs> episode, I think says a lot. I weirdly still remember back when it was called uh, Operation Kino. Operation Kino. Go, listening, I rem- I literally have this like very vivid sense memory of walking around Lincoln Center. I was walking to uh, that movie theater there to go see Holy Motors, and I was listening to your best of what it had been twenty twelve. What year was Holy Motors? Yeah, twenty thirteen, twenty twelve. Yeah, just I remember listening to that episode and being so uh, engaged. Yes, it was it was twenty twelve because that was the same one I remember. Where like you were sticking up for Cloud Atlas, and I yeah. was like. <laughs> This lady, this lady is my friend. Oh, that is my my brand from now and forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, an enduringly fantastic podcast. So uh, thank you so much. Chris, where can our listeners find you on the internet? You can find me on Letterboxd and Twitter at Chris v. File. That is F-E-I-L. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I'm also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So quit pretending that bomb vest is real and write us a nice review, won't you? Thank you. That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more. Love.